Welcome to the Cornerstones of Healthy Food Systems, sharing reflections on the environmental, agricultural, social, and nutritional factors that form the foundation of healthy food systems and healthy economies. Now your host, Dr. Mary Lucero. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 10. And if you have ever found yourself in the position of wishing you could get a tree or a shrub to grow on a very dry piece of land, this episode is for you. I'm going to share some strategies that we have used in absolute deserts to establish vegetation where land had been disturbed by activities that removed all the vegetation and left the land bare. And the reason you don't want bare land in the bare desert is not that different from the reason you wouldn't want bare land in your backyard. When soil is bare of vegetation, those bare spots are prone to erosion and less likely to support living systems. So the first thing you want to do before trying to start a plant in a bare site is look at what's causing it to be bare. Was it recently disturbed? Was there ever anything growing there? Has some kind of contaminant been spilled on the site that keeps things from growing? Once you understand the background, you can take any corrective actions. For example, if there's contamination on the site, you might need to amend the contamination before you can get any plants growing on the site. Depending on the value of the vegetation you want to establish, you might also want to take a soil test. Study the terrain. Look at where the water is flowing when it does rain and see if there's something you can do like build a catchment so that you're capturing water when it is available. Finally, make sure you've got lots of organic matter on the site. So very thick mulches, especially composted mulches, are real good ideas when you're trying to establish on very dry lands. Six inches of mulch is not too much. If this is a site that you can't water regularly, make sure you're choosing native plants, plants that are adapted to the amount of natural rainfall that's going to be available. If you're not sure what native plants are adapted to your area, you can check with master naturalists, you can check with NRCS groups. Even your local garden club is likely to have some good suggestions. Now, let's say you've got your site history, you've remediated the land, you've added lots and lots of organic matter, you've chosen a native plant. The next factor you want to consider is what form is your plant in? If you're growing seeds, keep in mind that native seeds usually have really low germination percentages. A single plant makes thousands of seeds, and evolution has played a nice trick in order to ensure that some seeds survive and germinate this year, and others germinate next year, and others germinate 15 years from now. They cover their seeds with coats that contain growth inhibitors to keep that seed dormant. And of course, each seed has a different level of dormancy. And the reason native plants do this is because they don't know when the water is going to come. They don't know when that super rain is going to hit. And so rather than put all their eggs in one basket, they make sure their seeds have varied dormancy. There are a few tricks for breaking seed dormancy. Probably the most gentle way to break dormancy is to get your native seeds and soak them under running water overnight. It doesn't have to be fast running, but keep that water moving over the seeds so that they're wet. 
And some of those growth inhibitors will actually wash away. Some seeds like a lot of heat. Some seeds like a lot of cold. Some seeds actually need to be treated in an acidic solution. Why would a seed need to be soaked in acid to germinate? Keep in mind that a lot of seeds evolve to be eaten by animals, run through their digestive tract, and land in the manure. And if you're going through an animal's stomach, you're going to be taking a bath in acid. Now, if you're going to use an acid soak for your seed, make sure you know how to handle the acids, find a proven protocol, or talk with somebody who has done this before so that you don't kill your seed or burn your skin. When your seeds are ready, you might also want to soak your mulch and make sure the site is really, really wet, even if you have to transport water to the site for the initial planting. Don't worry, once the seeds are established, you'll be able to cut back on the water. When their roots are down deep into the soil, they'll be able to handle the climate of your area because that's what they've adapted to. We are seeing a lot of climates change around the world, and so the microclimates are also changing. And if you experience an extreme year, then even your most adapted plants are going to die. I've seen shrubs that were more than a century old die in the Chihuahuan Desert because of extreme drought on a bad year. But those kinds of extreme events don't come often. So the odds are good that once your seed's established, they'll be good. When you plant them in the soil, make sure you cover it deeply in mulch with a lot of moisture and monitor the site, adding water as needed until your seeds are up and growing with several new leaves to show. Now, I should have mentioned you want to avoid traffic on the site. You might even want to fence off the area while your seeds establish, because if you're in a very dry area, any wildlife that sees something green is going to devour it. You may just have to monitor your local situation and decide how much protection you need. But generally, when you're planting seeds, you're planting small plants, grasses, forbs, wildflowers, this kind of thing. The trick I want to share with you today really centers on establishing trees and shrubs on dry land. And because we usually plant trees and shrubs as bare root cuttings or potted plants rather than as individual seeds, the first thing you want to do after you've chosen an adapted variety is you want to look for a source that can give you that plant material with as deep a root as possible. The standard one-gallon buckets that most nursery plants are sold in is not the best choice for dry land planting. See if you can find a nursery that is growing your material in tree pots. Tree pots can be maybe 14 inches tall. They might be skinny, 4 inches by 4 inches by 14 inches deep. But the advantage of these is they give you a very long root in the soil. The next thing you're going to want to do is take an auger and drill a hole in the soil that is about three times as wide as your tree pot. You're going to want to get some high-quality organic material like humic acids or microbially-rich compost, and mix it to at least a 50-50 ratio with the existing soil. If you're real concerned about water availability, the next thing you can do is cut a piece of PVC pipe that's about 3 inches wide and 12 inches deep. 
drill a bunch of one centimeter holes in a line on one side of that PVC pipe. What this is going to do is create a watering tube so that when you add water to this plant, all the water goes down under the soil. That means you don't have to carry as much water to the side. And the water is going to go down below the soil where it doesn't evaporate and where it's very available for your plant roots. When you add your transplant, set it so that the roots are right up against those holes in your PVC pipe. So you're going to have your PVC pipe right next to your plant, and you're going to have your holes on the pipe, the, the vertical one centimeter holes that you put into that pipe. You're going to have those lined up against your roots. So you set these two into the planting hole side by side. Fill it with your organic matter amended soil. Cover the site with thick mulch, just like you do for your seedlings. And if you really want to give it one more piece of reassurance that those roots are going to stay moist until the plant is established, one trick that I have used is to fill that PVC pipe, not just with water, but with a hydrated hydrogel. If you're not familiar with hydrogels, these are starch or synthetic polymers that hold up to 200 times their physical weight in water, which means that if you have a 3-inch wide by 12-inch long PVC pipe, that's going to hold about 5 liters of water. But if you use hydrated hydrogel in place of the water, the benefit is that that water is not going to soak down below the roots through the soil, and it's not going to spread out horizontally it's going to hold that water right there in the PVC pipe. And it's going to very slowly let that water vapor be available for your root. Now, I've used these hydrogel-filled tubes to establish plants in desert sites that were 70 miles from the nearest water source. Why would we do that? That's a story for another day. What was really nice about the hydrogel in this extreme circumstance is that it allowed us to go out there once, plant the plant, add the water with the hydrogel, and while we went to check on them in midsummer, we really didn't have to add more water. So with about five liters, just a little over a gallon of water, we were able to establish each tree permanently. Of course, in arid lands, when you get adapted trees or shrubs growing, these actually serve as trigger sites that catalyze other growth because now they're going to be dropping leaves that creates a mulch that allows other seedlings to emerge. And so you can start revegetating damaged sites in the desert if you can just get a few plants established. The others will move in over time. But most of you aren't going to be trying to grow plants in the desert. Most of you are going to be trying to grow plants in a corner in your backyard. And if you're monitoring it regularly, you can probably get away without using the hydrogel. On the other hand, if you are somebody who tends to get so busy with the day-to-day -day responsibilities that you forget to go out and water plants, the hydrogels can provide a little bit of insurance that your plants aren't going to suffer too much as a result of your busy schedule. So I hope these are tips that you can use. I like to include links in the description under the podcast to additional information. And for this one, I'm going to show links to scientific papers and government bulletins that, that show you pictures of these PVC pipe planting mechanisms 
and give you some ideas about how you might be able to use those for either low water use irrigation in your backyard or for establishing plants in in difficult sites. Thank you for joining me today. You have been listening to the Cornerstones of Healthy Food Systems podcast. This podcast is produced by Endophyte Enterprises, LLC. You can subscribe to our podcast at endophyte.com or look for us on your favorite podcast directory. Information or products referenced in any episode can be found in the show notes associated with that episode. These notes may contain links to our online courses or services. They may also contain links to affiliate sites. Purchases made through these links help support our efforts to produce this podcast.